Welcome to Health Currents Radio. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, your host. This show is all about transforming your life through your health. We're going to meet people who've done that, give you the resources to work on it, and share information that inspires and motivates you to make positive changes in your life. My passion is health, and it's what I've done for over 30 years. Thank you to our sponsor, Pearl Natural Health, a naturopathic acupuncture and Chinese medicine clinic located in downtown Portland, Oregon. You can find Pearl Natural Health at pearlnaturalhealth.com. We know that in the West, there's a long tradition of therapeutic healing rooted in the body that deals with difficult emotions, such as different types of bioenergetic and psychoanalytic therapies. Today, we are going to speak with Dr. Lori Regan about the Shanrandal work that she is doing and will be offering a retreat here in the Portland area this July. Dr. Lori Regan is a dean of the School of Classical Chinese Medicine at the National College of Natural Medicine here in Portland, Oregon. She received a doctorate in neurobiology from Harvard University in 1991 and a naturopathic doctorate degree from National College of Natural Medicine in 1997. For the past two decades, she studied Qigong in the United States and China under the mentorship of Professor Wang Qingyu, lineage holder of the Jinjing School of Qigong. And she has been offering the Shanrandao for the past couple of years and has been a major focus of her professional work and personal cultivation since attending the first Shanrandao retreat open to foreigners in China in 2010. She's also the co-host of True Nature Radio, which airs here from Pakatim as well. Lori, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ellen. So Shanrandao retreat is quite new to the United States. Let's start by just telling our listeners what it is and where it, where its origins are from. Great. Sure, Ellen. The Shanrandao work, which really means the path of the good person work, it was brought to the forefront in modern times by a man who was raised as a simple villager, a peasant who was raised in a small village in northern China in the early 1900s. He probably um, was born in the late 1800s but lived into the early 1900s. And the story about him, this man's name was Wang Fengyi, and he was raised as I said, in a village where there were a lot of Confucian um, followers. A lot of people lived by Confucian principles. And there's in Confucian philosophy, there's a strong emphasis on living from virtue or demonstrating these virtues in your life. And the most important of the virtues is considered to be xiao, spelled X-I-A-O, xiao, which means filial piety or family relations. And as a young boy, young Wang Fengyi just demonstrated really strong um, example of Xiao in the world. He was wonderful to his parents and his grandparents and to elders and to his siblings. Um, and so people really noted he was so extraordinary in this way that apparently he was known in the village um, as being this exemplary person. But when he was in his 20s and into his early 30s, he was critically ill. 
And somehow, and I don't know this part of the story in great detail, but somehow he came to an understanding that the root of the disease in his body was that although he personally had this great quality of Shao, he was really judgmental of other people that did not. So he did the work to take responsibility for his feelings, his negative emotion of judgment, other negative emotions as well, but that being one of the primary ones. And what he apparently experienced was in a matter of a month, he became totally healthy from being critically ill to being totally healthy. And then it's said that he did the traditional Confucian practice of staying by his father's gravesite. His father died, and he built a burial hut next to his father's grave, and he lived there for three years. And during that time, he felt like he had this deep understanding that arose internally, not from reading. He was illiterate. But he had this deep understanding about how negative emotion is held in the body and produces chronic disease. When his, after the three years were up, he committed his life to teaching other people about this understanding because people who lived around him were very poor. They didn't have ways to pay. They couldn't go to the hospital. They didn't have a lot of money to pay for the doctor. So he traveled around and had people come to his house, and he would teach them his understanding of how disease manifested from holding hatred in the body or holding blame or holding judgment in the body. Which afflicts all people at some point or another, right. wouldn't you say? Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting translation from Chinese culture, which has a very strong emphasis on respect for elders and the family, et cetera, to this country, which is much more dispersed and, you know, families are cut off from each other just through geography or through feelings, I guess, you know, that breakdown that happened in family relationships. Yeah, I agree with you, Ellen. I th I'm, you know, my experience, and I think for a lot of us, is that a lot of people in our country think, you know, my parents made these mistakes, and we get all kinds of therapy to recover from the mistakes our parents made, and we make a commitment to not make those same mistakes. And not that there isn't value in that, but it's a very, very, very different approach. And what Wang Fengyi realized is that, and in the deepest level in this system, this Confucian and Chinese view, is that whatever situation we were born into, in the deepest way, that's what the universe provided us with as our source of nourishment. And it doesn't mean that any behavior that anybody has is okay, but it means that after a certain age, not in childhood because we just react the way we do, but when we get to be a certain age, which in this system they consider to be around 12 years old, we become responsible for our reaction to what our circumstances are. And if we can see that the circumstances, even if they were really difficult, even if there was a lot of abuse, even if there was a lot of trauma, if we can somehow release the negative emotions that we experienced in relationship to that, then we actually begin to express the virtues that are inherent in our being. So I know from just the work that I've done working with people in transition, difficult emotions and workshops that I've taught and just my own personal work and working with patients over the years that this is not a... Um, 
a thing you can get through through your brain. Right. Right. It's really through your body. Right. So we're talking about emotional healing through your body based on these principles and these teachings. So can you talk a little bit about kind of how is this theory, which I know just from speaking with you and other colleagues and friends, it has a profound effect on people. And they really come out of this two-week retreat talking about, I feel transformed. I feel really different in a way that I can't explain, but it just manifests in the way that I lead my life. Can you talk about how it's, you know, this this theory, this mm-hmm. thing that he created actually works? Well, without giving too much of the theory, because it would take the a whole long show time. to do that, or several <laughs> shows to do that, the basic idea is that when we hold a negative emotion, we're not just holding that in our mind, in our brain. We're holding that physically in our body, as you say. Mm-hmm. So I, and I personally think a lot of that is held in the connective tissue, in the, in the fascial planes, that we hold a belief and it actually literally affects our physical structure. And when we hold, and it's a pattern of tension. So if I have a pattern of tension in my body, it actually is gonna decrease the blood flow in that area what in Chinese medicine would be called the qi flow, but Mm -hmm. we can easily understand it from a Western physiological perspective of just saying it decreases the blood flow, oxidation, the the release of metabolic toxins. And if there's any toxicity that we ingest, it's not going to be released from the body as, as fast. So wherever we hold these patterns, we have a tendency to hold toxicity in our body physically as well. So in the retreat, what people do is they learn some of the theory, but it's immediately put into practice in one's own life. So, for example, you look at, even if things were really hard, you look at the positive qualities of your parents, of your grandparents, of your family. And you look at, but and you also, it's not about denying anything. So you find the positive And then you also find where you're holding hatred, judgment, disdain, blame, in your anger, in your own body, and you're encouraged to actually let, to feel it. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, it's, it's not about the brain. And in fact, I think our higher brain, our cortex is designed to make sense, you know, to like make up stories that let those patterns give justification for holding those patterns. It makes sense. You did this and therefore I'm justified in blaming you. But if we let that go and we simply feel how we really feel in response to that experience, then we can actually unwind, literally unwind the pattern of tension that's held in our body, release the toxins, and feel tremendously freer and healthier. So really going into it, being with it, staying with it in the presence of other people. And the workshop is done a lot in silence, I understand. Right. And so there's, and the facilitators, you and Dr. Tamara Stout, facilitate this uh, retreat, really allow a lot of space for people to stay with whatever is going on. And that can be very uncomfortable and very difficult and challenging. Yeah, well, 
you're, you hit on a really key thing about the retreat, which is there is there are periods in the retreat where you speak and share, but for the most part, the retreat is silent. And the reason for that, again, relates to our brains. Mm-hmm. We want to quiet down our minds and also let go of how much energy it takes to be in normal social relations with others. During the retreat, you, you focus on the teachings, which in this case will be Dr. Tamara Stout will be the primary teacher of this retreat. And then, but you take that information and then you reflect on it in your own life. And so you have lots of space and time. There are no cell phones, no computers, no interruptions, just a really dedicated amount of time to feel what one really feels, because we're definitely discouraged from doing that in a deep way in our culture. Absolutely. It it really is an extroverted culture, and uh, there are a lot of stories going out on around us, you know, reality television, media, internet, dramas, dramas everywhere. So to be able to actually disengage and to go within and Mm -hmm. stay with what is going on that in itself is a powerful practice. Right. I think there's this thing that you talked about in in their tradition of uh, in China, and we know that the way people mature in different cultures is really different, but the fact that age 12 you become responsible for your own emotions. Can you talk more about that in this tradition that Wang Fengyi uh, yeah, developed? Yeah, my understanding of it is that um, as children we take on the patterns of our parents and that's our job. We express. Right. So we can get, they do, I've asked specifically about this, they do have the same kind of concept as, as what we hold in Western holistic traditions called a miasm. Meaning, that's from the homeopathic. Yeah, from homeopathic, homeopathic tradition. And it really, it means a pattern that we can inherit. So it's not exactly a genetic pattern, but it's a... Right. In, for lack of a more precise term, an energetic pattern, but it's a it's a pattern of behavior that we can inherit. And, you know, we respond very naturally to the things that happen to us as children. It's not like we necessarily are viewed to have the choice or that system looks at it as having a choice. But when we get to a certain age, we then can make a choice about what negative emotions. We start to make meaning in a different way about our circumstances, and we we start to, instead of, we know kids express the emotion more readily. If they're angry, they express anger. But as we get older, we start to make up all the stories about things. And so the system looks at it as, when you get to that age where you have a certain cognitive ability, that you not continue, it's, it's, it's funny, Ellen. It's not about even morality, I think of it as, so much as possibility. Hmm. You know, that there's a possibility of becoming responsible for one's own being. It's possible that we can release the story, feel what we feel, and let it, let it like I was saying before, let it unwind so that we can express who we deeply are without holding these negative emotions that will eventually lead to symptoms and eventually disease as well. 
You got two thoughts. I have one is uh, as as we grow and you get to around twelve or thirteen, and the hormonal shift really starts to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we real kids really start to come into. Uh, the bigger question of life, that spirit question of, you know, who am I in this world? What do I want to become, et cetera? So, um, you know, to offer children the possibility of becoming who they really are without being mired in um, really being a victim of circumstance. Now, of course, when you're 12, you can't really go out there on your own and start living. You still need your parents. Um, But... Um, it's just a very interesting concept that is brought forward. And I wondered if you could talk about, uh, when I was talking to Dr. Stout yesterday, she talked to me about how, I think it was Wang Fengyi had started schools for women mm. and really believed that the, the healing would really occur, the healing in the world would occur through women and families. Yeah, he he felt that because the mother was primarily responsible for the education of the children, that it was essential that girls get a high-quality education. And so he created about 800 schools for girls throughout northern China, many of which still exist today. And this was in the early 1900s? It was in the early 1900s, so very forward-thinking, definitely not the norm right. at that time. And, and in this time now, there's a lot of emphasis on what we call girl power, right? There's, mm-hmm. there, I think, uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton did a lot to bring forward just the plight of women and children in the world. And uh, there's a lot going on about girls. And so the fact that this in China, which is not usually very women-centered, right, um, that there was this person who really knew that there was a potency in women and children is in itself a huge gift right. to bring forward. So it's only been, it's really you and Dr. Stout and, and Heinrich Ruhoff really brought it to this country. You, you are the first people who's brought it outside of China, right, this right. work? Yes, Ellen. The, the um, connection there is we have a strong friendship and connection with a man in China whose name is Dr. Liu Lihong. And he has become very well known throughout China through his um, book, a book he wrote on rethinking Chinese medicine, which was about returning to the ancient roots of the medicine. And as such, he's traveled all over the country and met all kinds of different people and practitioners. And when he encountered this system of healing in northern China, he felt like it was profound. And what he says is that in his experience is that these days we can be patients, we can, as patients, we can be what he termed black holes. We can be given herbs and acupuncture, whether it's any other form of medicine, and get better. The symptoms can go away and we can seem okay, but over time those symptoms are going to turn, tend to come back. And what his best guesses and from a very experienced point of view is that these days most of the chronic disease that we experience rests not in imbalances simply in lifestyle but they have a root in these negative emotions and then if we don't address this emotional level of disease we'll continue to keep needing these more um, 
I don't want to say superficial because I don't think... Well, more complex palliation, really. Yeah, that we really need to go to this deeper level. So through the connection with Dr. Liu, he has promoted these workshops and this work. He's brought it to a larger audience throughout China. And then with our connection with him, he helped... And he helped make it possible for the first retreat in China that was held at the Jiashan Monastery in Hunan province, where not only a group of people from National College of Natural Medicine went, but people from all around the world came and participated in this retreat. It's just wonderful that I think we can bring forward the, the work that you're doing and to really remind people that we're one whole being. Right. And our physical symptoms, there, there's no blame in it, but our physical symptoms can reveal, our physical body can reveal something deeper and that we can heal from many different, um, in many different ways. And the, the concept and the work of doing emotional healing through the body is extremely powerful and transformative. Yeah, and isn't it a relief in a way that instead of thinking if I have disease, there's something, either I'm a victim, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. We can actually use that as a gift in a way. We can take the symptom and use it as a signal for where can we become more free? Where can we become healthier? Where can we become more essentially who we are in the world? Absolutely. So for people who may be listening, they may be in some far off spot and they can't come here mm-hmm. to do this retreat in July, what would what could people do on their own? I asked the same question to Dr. Stout yesterday. Maybe I can read to you what she said and we can hear what you say. Because she was saying, if there's one thing that you can do for yourself, it's that regardless of anything that's happened between you and your parents and your ancestors, just to begin to acknowledge the gratitude and gift that they gave you, which is life, and to even spend one minute a day doing that for three months will start to make a big change within yourself. That's what she was talking about. If, if you can't get to this retreat, if you can't come here, what could you do for yourself? And I'd love to ask you the same question. I totally agree with that. I think the first starting place, because of that quality of Shao and its importance in our health, is to start with exactly what um, Dr. Stout is saying about gratitude. Gratitude for the gift of life. Gratitude for our parents, finding their positive qualities. Or it could be anybody who was um, there as part of our formative life. It could be your adoptive parents as well. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, I would say people can also not reject, not suppress their real feelings. The key emotion for human beings in this regard is blame. So to become very, very attuned to where we're blaming others, whether we're blaming somebody else or we're blaming ourselves. And to go, if we figure out that there's blame there, there's also a deeper emotion there. There's a place where we can simply We blame because we don't like what's happening. But if we simply sit in the presence of how do we feel that it is happening, are we angry, are we distressed, are we fearful, maybe terrified, maybe we're extremely sad, if we let ourselves own that emotion, 
not project it out onto anyone else, but just feel it, let the emotion run through our system, we can release it and become healthier. Well, there's incredible possibility, I think, for, for all of us to heal, even if we can't be cured. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Lori, thank you so much for being with us today. For people who are, want to um, know more about the Shanrandao retreat or possibly sign up for it, could you just tell us how to make contact with you? And Sure. You can get in touch with me through my email address at the National College of Natural Medicine, which is L-R-E-G-A-N at ncnm.edu. You can also directly get an application for somebody that wants to see what that's all about from my assistant, Janeth Villegas, which is J-V-I-L-L-E-G-A-S at ncnm.edu. And this retreat will be happening in July, July 12th through 27th in lovely Gaston, Oregon, on a beautiful retreat uh, center. So please uh, do get in touch with Dr. Regan if you are interested and want to know more, perhaps not this time, maybe this time or for the future. Thank you again, Lori, for being with us on Health Currents Radio. Thank you so much. That's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ellen Goldsmith. My passion is health, and it's what I've done for over 30 years. Thank you again to our sponsor, Pearl Natural Health, a naturopathic acupuncture and Chinese medicine clinic located in downtown Portland, Oregon. You can find Pearl Natural Health at pearlnaturalhealth.com. You can listen to Health Currents Radio and connect with us on communityradio.fm slash healthcurrentsradio. Find us on iTunes, Download us on the mobile app Stitcher or join in the conversation at facebook.com slash healthcurrentsradio. We want to know how you are transforming your life through your health. Special thanks to our fantastic audio engineer and producer, Jonah Gile Neufeld. Join us next week on Health Currents Radio when we speak with David Gould, a food and biological scientist trained at MIT. He'll speak with us on GMOs. Those are genetically modified organisms. The science of it, the health implications, and what the consumer can do.